Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023, thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice, the Players Club, powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning, all electric and built for tough. Training Camp 2023 is on the air thanks to Ting Internet. If you live in Centennial, make Ting your lightspeed internet provider for as low as $89 a month. Go to ting.com slash centennial for more information. Matt Smith and Chad Brown in on the Players Club today. Nate and Orlando are off. We'll check in a little bit later with Orlando, though, who's going to be giving us a live practice report as Chad. Today is the last day of camp. You better make sure that, you know, you, you got all your summer loving in and, and you, you spend all your money at the commissary because you don't want to bring any home to mom and dad, right? And, you know, this feels like, uh, the last stop here at the OK Corral. Uh, this is always a good day for the players, you know, uh, and particularly when you have had a practice as good as it was yesterday. Really? Um, okay. You know, I'm not going to say it was the world's greatest training camp practice, but the progress, the, process as mike evans has been talking about for a couple mm. of days the process is starting to pay dividends and you know i had a chance to go to practice yesterday uh midweek i was midweek last week midweek two weeks ago okay. so to compare and contrast my first practice i saw versus last week versus this week this is clear there is progress. It is clear guys are beginning to understand things. It is clear they are coming together as a football team, which is what training camp is all about. And as much as media folks like you want them to hit the ground. Like me. Yes. Well, like me, he says, yes. as if he were excluded in that classification yes. at this stage of his life. They want to hit the ground, run, and everything's supposed to be perfect from day one. Right. There is a process in which progress is made to mm. arrive to where they are today. Mm. A football team that is far better off prepared for the regular season than they were last week versus even two weeks ago. So uh, this is a good day for the Bronco players. Uh, you got your game coming up, last day of camp. You could probably officially break camp after the game is over, but for our purposes, it's done here today. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And now we kind of transition to the preseason practice is yes. what it feels like. It feels like now we're, we're fully into the preseason camp is really closing out. And, and like I mentioned to you the other day that I'm going to take way more out of what we see in the games than I will out of practice. But one common theme I heard after all of you guys got out of the gates yesterday was how great yesterday's practice was. So enlighten me on why it received such positive marks. Ah, it received such positive marks because that progress that I talked about. And then what does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like a higher level of efficiency. Okay. It looks like from a Russell Wilson perspective in in one-on-ones to be able to hit Jalen Virgil in stride down the sideline. Whereas when I saw it two weeks ago, that ball was short. Mm. It was Corlin Sutton taking, taking advantage of a underthrown ball by Russell Wilson, which I saw a couple of times yesterday. So it's still not perfect and not that you want to be perfect here going into week two of the preseason. Your perfection should be a lot further down the road because it's almost impossible to maintain that. You don't want to achieve that now. It needs to be much deeper into the season. But uh, Corlin Sutton goes up and snatches the ball on a 50-50 ball. Something that my normal radio partner, Nate Jackson, would say that's what this receiver group needs to do. They got to have the dog in them. Mm-hmm. They got to go up and snatch balls out of the air. I didn't see Corlin Sutton do that last week or two weeks ago. So these players now beginning to uh, gain a higher level of comfort, specifically for Russell Wilson. A very simple, easy play was a pass to Adam Troutman, 
Um, but Russell Wilson, I think, is now comfortable enough in the offense, comfortable enough with new guys like Adam Troutman, where he was able to look off Troutman for the three quarters of the play, looking off to the right. Adams running a snag route about 10 yards up, going to the left sideline, then coming back inside. Russell Wilson looked off to the right, got the safety and linebackers to slide further to the right to give Adam Troutman a bigger window to throw the ball into. So it was something that we haven't seen from Russell, at least I haven't seen from Russell very much in camp, looking off people. But it takes time and comfort to do that. If you're unsure where everyone is going to be on the football field, how could you possibly take your eyes off the guy you want to throw to? Because you're not even certain where he's going to be. Versus yesterday, I know exactly where Adam Tom is going to be. I can look someplace else, come back to him, snap the ball, first down, move the chains. And what's interesting is a lot of what you're telling me is, you know, getting more comfortable in this offense, right, which is a process that this is the second straight year Russell Wilson's having to undergo, right? This is the second straight year they're having to learn new terminology and figure out how their coach wants to do things. And and it strikes me that we talk a lot about process, and certainly coming up we're going to have a larger discussion about excuses versus expectations. Right. And I think a lot of the process, at least how it's perceived, is actually determined by the expectations by the individual. So determining what the actual expectations for this team are, I think, are important in context to have that conversation. Now, when you bring up Russ being comfortable, did it look like some of the stuff that we saw on Friday night in Arizona was able to carry over? Uh, yes, there was carryover from that, but there, I think there was also a, another step forward from that. You often make your biggest improvement from year one to year two. So the, the next phase of that would be uh, you make your, you know, your biggest improvement from game one to game two of the preseason. Mm. I've seen full speed action. Uh, now I can you know, kind of release some of the maybe angst and anxiety about things. I, I, I've gotten some action under my belt. Now I can go out and really charge into this. And I think Russell Wilson, you know, had that process mentally occur after that first game. And that's the thought process for a veteran, right? Yes. Not necessarily for a younger player who's still trying to earn it, right? It seemed, it would seem to me like they, as the camp draws on, maybe a younger player who's flirting with the edge of the roster would tend to become maybe more uncomfortable or at least anxious. Oh, it's, it's inevitable because you begin to look around the room, and at this point there's a hierarchy in every room. Mm. And uh, Right, it's been developed now, yes. right? Yeah, whereas it wasn't maybe a week and a half ago. Everything was uncertain. Sure. Now there's a hierarchy starting to, to form, and then it's inevitable that you as a young player, you, you're sitting in the team meeting and you go, okay. Probably keep three tight ends. Maybe start One, counting. two, three. <laughs> Maybe five, six receivers, and you count those guys out. And then you get to your position room. And you're like, oh, if I'm if I'm the seventh DB, I know yeah. he's ahead of me, and I know, yes. I know he's for sure ahead of me. Right. So. And that starts, and you go, oh, well, that leaves me out. Right. So okay, then you recount again. Well, maybe they only keep five receivers, not six, and there's room for me. So that's when you start looking around, and so that's when that anxiety starts to ratchet up. When I was a coach, when I was a veteran player, I was, do not, do not, do not start counting numbers. Do not look around your room or the, the big room and start trying to figure out who's going to make it and who's not. Because literally, yes, you are trying to make this football team, but you can't just focus on that as a young bubble guy, maybe, maybe not on the roster. You've got to find a way to audition for all 32 teams. And if your mind is counting numbers, you're taking your focus away from what you should be doing. It's trying to put the best you on tape as possible. 
It's the last day of camp. If you're headed down here, make sure you stop by the denversports.com zone. We've got free waters courtesy of our friends over at Gravina's. It plans to be a hot one here later in the day, but it seems like ramping up to that should be at least tolerable, Chad. It looks like later in the day it's going to get pretty hot out here, though. So we're enjoying it. It's our last day out here. If you're driving by, fire off a honk, shoot us a wave. We love to hear the support from all of our listeners. And when we come back, it's excuses versus expectations. Mm. Two weeks into camp, right? Two and a half? Where are we at? Two and a half? Something like that. So okay. Math is not my I'll, strong I'll, suit. I'll Math is not my it. strong suit. Maybe get out your calculator during the break and we can add some of this up. Uh, when we come back, excuses versus expectations. What do we expect for the Broncos in 2023? That's next. Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice. The Players Club, powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built Ford Tough. Look, time to talk something serious here for just a minute. It has been heartbreaking to watch the news coming out of Maui this week. And unfortunately, here in Colorado, we are all too familiar with the damage of wildfires. Our company, Bonneville, has launched a fundraiser to help the people of Maui. Head to denversports.com right now, and at the top of the page, you're going to see a link to the Bonneville Maui Strong Fire Relief Fund. 100% of those donations go to the Hawaii Community Foundation serving Maui. Again, that's Bonneville Maui Strong Fire Relief Fund at denversports.com. Excuses versus expectations, Chad. I think yeah, man. one of the common themes of pushback from those that are not in the camp of allowing the process to reveal itself. The thought process for those people, Chad, it's why are you guys making excuses for the fact that the Broncos look terrible? They looked terrible last year. They're not looking good. Their offense is not going to be good. They only scored one of four drives, Chad. The first two drives were bad, right? We've heard those critics all week long to the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that those people are evaluating this team through the lens of not only being relevant again, but maybe being a playoff contender again. Okay. Because if you're evaluating this team based upon what we saw in 2022, it's a five-win team, Chad. It's a five-win team with the worst offense in the NFL. So you tell me, based upon what we've seen at training camp, based upon what we, what your expectations were heading into this season, and where we sit here today, how should we be viewing this team? Uh, I heard Mark and Mike talking about a similar thought, not quite the same. Uh, Mike was asking Mark to review training camp. And Mark was saying, you know, I haven't seen anything out there that really moves the needle for me. Mm. Um, and I thought that's a that's a really great way to evaluate this because my thought was Sean Payton is a professional. Sean Payton's a very good coach. Uh, the talent level on this team is developing. They're still kind of coming into some of their talent level. Uh, but I saw this training camp as really the only possible way was to hurt this football team rather than really to improve it because i understand there is a process um so i'm not sure if i've seen enough to change my expectations one way or the other offensive line is an issue Mm. but uh you know preseason games you don't get you don't stack plays the same way that you do during the regular season to help your line or help positions that may be deficient you're still trying to install things so um this is a eight and nine 
nine and eight football team, okay. in my opinion. And that opinion has not changed after being at camp and being across from camp for three weeks now. Interesting. And you felt this way heading into it. Heading into it. I haven't seen anything that changes that. They haven't been so bad where I'm like, oh, man, that was a pretty lofty of me. Nor have I seen anything where this continued flashes of greatness. And I go, oh, maybe this is a, a 12-5 and five team. No, I haven't seen either one of those. I just see a team that is rounding into form that is going to have to figure some things out here in year one with Sean Payton. But considering your improvement is never in a vacuum, you've got to look at the champion Chiefs in this division and recognize that this team is not nearly at that same level. That's very grounded, first of all. I will say my experience was a little different. When we went through the schedule exercise of picking all these games when it first came out, Mm -hmm. I ended up with 10 wins. I felt kind of sick to my stomach about it because I'm like, that's double what they had last year. Based upon what we saw last year, it seems like that that just feels unrealistic in general. And, you know, we, we go through it a few more times. But as we started to near close to training camp, I started to dig up some numbers of things that I felt like, hey, Sean Payton can improve the fact that they were third in the league in penalties last year, fourth in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the football, right? They can clean up some of that discipline. So the baseline of expectation for improvement heading into training camp, meaning the second that they walk out onto the field, we should see a more organized product than we saw last year. Is that fair to think? That is quite fair. Okay. So when I got out to camp, my expectations actually changed. So where before I felt like 7 to 10 wins was probably an accurate range for this team, meaning that 7 is probably the floor, and that feeds into logic because the worst record that Sean Payton has ever had in his head coaching career were three seven and nine seasons in New Orleans right but I also felt like look if if you hit some green lights and you start to maybe maybe get through to Russ and you figure some things out maybe your ceiling is 10 wins but after I saw training camp Chad that changed it felt much more and and I mind you I was out there early so for me it felt more like a five to seven win range was more realistic than maybe a 7 to 10 win range. But after what I've seen here maybe the last few weeks, I can see the the path to an 8 or 9 win football team. I just still think based upon the issues that they have remaining, they've got a lot of work to do, man. What are these issues? List them out for me. What offensive line is uh-huh. a huge one mm-hmm. in the fact that you spent a lot of money on two free agent offensive linemen that maybe came in having some questions, right, with maybe McGlinchey and his pass-blocking ability, Ben Powers the same way. Let's pause there. Okay. Do you think that Sean Payton and George Payton didn't watch tape on Mike McGlinchey? Do you think they're surprised by the fact that he's not an elite pass-blocker? Or did they know? Because I, I certainly knew. Now, I had a chance to be, you know, watching Mike McGlinchey literally every day for six weeks when I was an interim coach with the 49ers. So, but I knew, uh, it is, you don't have to go very far into the tape vault to look at Mike McGlinchey and, um, as a run blocker versus a pass blocker and recognize one skill set's pretty strong and one's a little bit lacking. Okay. So they knew exactly what they were getting to. So the pass protection issues for Mike McGlinchey is not causing consternation in the coach's office at night when they're talking about practice. They knew exactly what they were getting into. Now this guy's, the fact that he's nicked up, now they got to go with uh, right tackle two or three or whatever it's going to be uh, at that position. That may cause some concern. But Mike McGlinchey himself, they knew exactly what they were getting. So they've got a plan to deal with that. 
George, Sean Payton has got a scheme to deal with that. He's got a sequence of play calls that is going to take that away. This is why Mike McGlinchey wasn't a liability for the 49ers because Kyle Shanahan knew what he had and made sure I'm going to put this guy in the best position to be successful by running the football, by going with, with play action pass, by when I want to pass the ball, it looks just like this run play. And there's a boot and there's a waggle. And I've got all these things to cause the defense a little bit of pause that allows Mike McGlinchey to get into his pass set and have a better chance for success on that individual ref. And whether or not they may have known those things, it still doesn't mean I'm any less concerned based upon the performance I saw on Friday night. And the other part of it okay. is with McGlinchey specifically, I don't know if we can really judge him yet based upon what we what he practiced a few days after one of his best friends unfortunately passed away. I'm really not holding too much of what we saw, you know, against him in training camp. However, it does put him in a position now because you mentioned he's banged up where he's going to have to debut the first two weeks against Max Crosby and then the second week against Washington's defensive front. So, yeah, I I don't know if I would completely agree that there's no consternation over there about the fact that, and maybe about his skill set, I see your point, but but the gelling process, I think that is a concern, the fact that he's going to miss that amount of time where this is really where you're meshing together as a cohesive unit. And, And certainly, as the season progresses, you continue to develop all of that, and it's not like, well... We got it done in camp, so here we go to week one, and we're never going to get any better from where we are now. Right. But I just think that the foundation that they've set themselves up with here leaves a lot to be desired as we move closer to the regular season as far as the offensive line because what we saw last year was Russ be sixth in the league in pressured throws with 105, right. the most sacked quarterback. He saw pressure on over 160 dropbacks last year. Mm-hmm. You've got to find a way to protect this guy better because of his natural limitations. So, yeah, that is a concern for me at the moment in time. Okay. But here's a bigger concern for me. Bigger. Bigger than the offensive line. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's in totality. Because I could go down and list all of these little line items of, hey, I'd like to see this. I'd like mm-hmm. to see that. And this has gone better than I expected. But this area is really lacking. More than that, I wonder if the Broncos actually have the luxury of the process. Because you just mentioned to me that the early signs of what you've seen in camp seem to be progress, right? Right. Well, how much longer does that head into the regular season before you judge whether or not Russ is the guy you want the next, what, four or five years? All right, this, this is a conversation that has driven me crazy for two months now. That suddenly... Sean Payton is going to be asked to do this dual role of call plays that give the Broncos best chance for success to win a football game. But separate in that, he's also got to sprinkle in plays to see. Oh, I don't know if I said that. I don't know. You didn't say that. Okay. You didn't say that. But but others have insinuated this kind of thought that it's two separate tracks evaluating Russell Wilson and winning football games. And somehow, Sean Payton has got to defer to win football games to evaluate if Russell Wilson is worthy of being a Bronco again next year. We are going to see plenty of that during regular gameplay. So it's not a separate process. It's exactly the same process. Now, will Sean Payton call things differently next year versus how he calls things different versus how he calls things this year? Yes, because he's going to change and evolve. And as a play caller, you should. The league changes. Defenses changes. Your personnel changes. All those things are going to change. So I, I, I it's, it's always felt like a, a weird way to discuss it because they're actually the exact same thing. They're not separate pieces. Okay. And, and I would agree with you there completely. I, I definitely don't 
fall into the camp of somebody who thinks, look, you know, you got to let Russ cook to see if he can cook. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do think that this is the basis of a really good conversation that I want to swing back around to here coming up a little bit later. But coming up next, Adam Schefter joined the morning show this morning, and he had some phenomenal thoughts on the fact that Mike Shanahan was snubbed yet again from the Hall of Fame. That news came out yesterday, so we'll dive into some of Adam's comments and react to them next. But we are live here from the DenverSports.com zone at Training Camp 2023. Thanks to our friends from Con Construction, a commercial general contractor specializing in tenant improvement and design build projects for over three decades. That's Con, K-A-H-N, Construction.com. Schefter on the other side. Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice. The Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built Ford Tough. Hey campers. It is the last day of camp here. Centura Training Camp Summer Camp. Make sure you get down to the commissary where you can collect your free bag of box tops to take back to school because today's the last training camp day of 2023 here from the Valley. And we're here, of course, live from training camp 2023 thanks to our friends over at the Randy Ross Tennis Center. I actually went down to the commissary today, Chad, because I had a bunch of those and I'm collecting box tops. So hopefully for this school year, uh, I can get the grand prize. I'm rooting for you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. It's always good to be supported. Earlier this morning, Adam Schefter joined Mike and Mark, Mm -hmm. and the boys were asking him about the Hall of Fame process, at which Adam revealed that he used to have a vote for the Hall of Fame before he begun working for NFL Network. And, of course, yesterday, at least as, as, as much as it relates to the Hall of Fame, the news of the day was that Mike Shanahan was passed over yet again for his turn in the sun. And the boys asked Adam Schefter about his thoughts on the snub for Mike Shanahan. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's something that I don't really think is great. I don't like it. Um, I'm sure somebody there could educate me and make me feel a little bit better about the process, but... I think it's a bunch of BS. Like, I, I love how these guys get into the Hall of Fame like 30 years later and they're not, not alive to enjoy. Like, Ken Riley. Oh, Ken Riley morphed into a Hall of Fame cornerback within the last year that he got in? Why didn't he get in when he was alive? Ken Stabler. Sip. It, it just it bothers me. It really bothers me that all of a sudden, after a certain amount of time, because of some political BS... There's a push on a guy, and he gets in because it's a highly political process, and it's unfortunate. And Mike Shanahan is a Hall of Famer yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So let's just make him wait, and we'll keep making him wait because we only allow one coach and contributor. Like, who comes up with these stupid rules? Thoughts, Chad, on the strong, strong words from Adam Schefter. Adam's absolutely right. The process is deeply flawed. And yeah, it, it, the I think almost every Hall of Fame has these kind of discussions, but it seems to be more in the NFL Hall of Fame where, yes, suddenly you're at the end of your life and or you've just passed away and now you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, what happened to the previous forty years before that for Ken Stabler? Mm. Um, and the fact that sometimes your Hall of Fame candidacy has to have momentum behind it. If you're Steve Atwater, you have to become 
a part of the media to put your name out there so people can recognize your Hall of Fame skills on the field. Uh, short of a complete overhaul and revamping of this entire system, I'm not sure how we can change this. Um, there are rules to in attempts to make this exclusive, which it should be an incredibly exclusive club. But those rules come up against something like we found yesterday where a coach like Mike Shanahan with two Super Bowl victories is excluded from the club because we got somebody else who's in line in front of you. Um, so that all those kinds of things are, are weird. You know, I had a conversation with a Hall of Fame voter last year after I was nominated. And I was like, hey, man, I've stayed completely out of this. I have no idea what this process is like. He's like, well, i tell you what you should do. You need to call or find somebody on your, you know, on your side who can call all these players that you played against who can vouch for you who oh. are already in the Hall of Fame. I was like, oh, that feels incredibly weird and yeah. incredibly uncomfortable. I certainly will never, no. be, never be doing that. Um, you know, if there's somebody else who wants to take up this for me and contact Willie Rofe and Wheel Shields and Tony Gonzalez and all these players who I played against and all these guys who I've played for who are in the Hall of Fame, Dermani Dawson's and Rod Woodson's and all these guys, um, then sure, yes, I will allow you to do that on my behalf. But I'm certainly not going to do that. But he's like, Chad, so you got to think about it. if you're the fact that you bounced around and did not finish your career as a Pittsburgh Steeler, as part of the most one of the more iconic franchises in the sport, there's going to be some work for you. And if you want to really do this, it's going to take some work. It's like, I can't do that. Either I'm in or I'm not. Either I'm a Hall of Fame player or I'm not. If somebody else wants to do that for me, sure, but I can never participate in that. Um, so I imagine for someone like Mike Shanahan, yeah, it's got to be weird. I have to go vouch for myself. Does not my record vouch mm-hmm. for it? Doesn't the Hall of Fame guys who I coach, Shannon Sharps and Terrell Davis, does that not vouch for what kind of coach I am? Um, so this process is flawed, as Adam Schefter said, and it does need to be revamped. And it's ridiculous that Mike Shanahan will have to wait a few more years before this happens because he's been a Hall of Fame coach for a long time. Right. Retired 2013. Now he's still helping Kyle maybe just on an auxiliary basis. But as far as his eligibility, he's been eligible since 2018 now. So this is the fifth year in a row that he's been passed over. Uh, You're talking about the process and how political and how flawed it is. Well, Schefter went in on that too. Well, I was a voter 15 years ago for about four years, if I remember correctly. And then when I went, I left the Denver Post to go to work for the NFL Network. They they, they, they couldn't have a voter from <laughs> who is an NFL employee also serving on the Hall of Fame board. There would be a conflict of interest there. So I haven't voted since then. And frankly, I'm happy not to take part in a process like that. And yeah, it, it's just, I, I think a lot of times guys who have better more respected presenters belong in the Hall of Fame. They, or they get in the Hall of Fame. And guys who have presenters who aren't as established, aren't as respected, they wait to get in the Hall of Fame. That's an example of it right there. You know, I don't like, you know, 50 people, one in each city being empowered. I don't know where that came from. I'd rather, you know, and, and, and the sports writers don't won't like this, but that's the way it is. The people who played in that era know. I'm sorry, but Stink knows who are the more qualified 
defensive lineman and even offensive lineman more so than a writer from Pittsburgh or a writer from Dallas or a writer from Arizona. Am I wrong? I mean, it's ridiculous. And they lean on the opinions of all the people who played and coached in the game to present in the room. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's a small number. Why not have all those writers and players and coaches and have, I don't know, a thousand ballarders voting? Like, well, who made these 50 people the voices of God and the deciders of fate? You got me going here. So I want to give you a chance to respond to that, but I want to say before you do that I think Adam has a really valid point here about the Hall of Fame process for all sports, not just the NFL, for all sports. They're a selective group of people who do this voting, and, and there's no comprehensive list. We don't know who it is. There's no accountability, so oh, we, I, I'm with him there. Well, we, we know who's on the list. We know who participates. Some. some. You don't know them all. I mean, could you tell me all the NFL Hall of Fame voters right now? I could not, but it's available. Okay, it's the the the. I'll look it up. The Google machine will give us some information because I don't. I've never seen anything like that. Oh, I've seen it. Okay, so what do you think about Adam's opinion in changing that? <sighs> it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Having done Pro Bowl voting with players, um, if you are a second year wide receiver, do you have any idea what's happening on the offensive defensive lines? You don't. You, you don't. So when I was the you know leading the, the team on the Pro Bowl vote, you know it, it, it sometimes it, was, it just became a popularity contest. Um, so while I understand wanting the players to participate, but if the Hall of Fame player selection is skewed, there's a reason why there's a ton of uh, New York Giants and. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, those are more the iconic franchises in the sport. And if you allow players who are now skewed because of their previous biases for, towards their franchises, are they not going to have biases towards a player from those same franchises? So there's a bit of a, you know, I, I, I see where Adam's going, and Adam makes a great point. The players would know, but how do we know the players are going to be unbiased? If we're going to say these riders don't have the, a, a unbiased mindset, then why are players going to be any different? Why are coaches going to be any different? Because why is yeah. why is Mike Holmgren not going to want to vote for somebody off his coaching tree? Not that Mike Holmgren is in, right? But as an example, Andy Reid is off of Mike Holmgren's coaching tree. Andy Reid's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but if his candidacy was you know fifty fifty, yeah. then Mike Holmgren stands up and wants to give his guy a chance to get in. There's always going to be somebody who wants their guy to be in, no matter whether it's players, coaches, or writers. So I think Adam's point was if you add a lot more ballots to that equation, you even out the biases. You water down the biases by making it a higher volume of voting. And if you're doing it with players, coaches, you know, other people, even even these writers, and, and you're right, I got a list of the Hall of Fame. You got 50 representatives from from one from each state here, okay? And, and then you got 17 at-large selectors. So you have a collection of, like, almost 70 media members. That's it. That's it. So there is bias in that voting because you can't escape that type of bias, Chad. Football has a clear, unmistakable East Coast bias because there's more teams on the East Coast than there are on the West Coast. East Coast football is considered better. Uh, in college football, it's hard to win a Heisman Trophy unless you were Matt Leinart or Reggie Bush if you're from a West Coast school. There's a clear East Coast bias in all of football. Right. So if we start bringing this in, there's going to, that's also going to be a factor. 
You know what I mean? Because I had a chance to see you play because you played in my time zone versus a West Coast guy. So it's impossible to escape these biases. So I'm not sure if adding more voter changes it or just confirms the biases even stronger. No, I think it changes it because you're going from a from in what he's what he's suggesting. You're going from a pool of almost 70 voters to a pool of hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand voters who all have the, the same list of biases. But if you did that, you wouldn't allow the process to play out the way it is where you have to go politicking for yourself and, and, and you know, carry around the poster of, hey, vote for me, class of 2023. Like, that's that wouldn't happen if you had that many people. I mean, or, or maybe it would. Maybe it would. Mm-hmm. But it would be much more challenging to play that old boys club game where it's really one hand washes the other. You take care of me here. I'll take care of you there. You, 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 it would be far less prevalent in my opinion, if you had that type of sample size. But it's a fascinating argument. No I doubt. think it is. Because for all Hall of Fames, you could have a very, very similar uh, discussion here, Chad. Look, when we come back, I want to talk to you about a comment that I that I read yesterday uh, about boot camp reps, okay? That's what I heard somebody classify what the Broncos are out there doing. They called it boot camp reps, all right? All right. I want you to think about that one for a second. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break, but first we're here live from Training Camp 2023 in the DenverSports.com zone. Thanks to our friends from Con Construction, a commercial general contractor specializing in tenant improvement and design build projects for over three decades. That's Con, K-A-H-N Construction.com. Back with more in just a second. Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Getting set for today's practice. The Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built Ford Tough. Sports.com zone across the street from Centura Training Center. Training Camp 2023 is on the air thanks to Ting Internet. If you live in Centennial, make Ting your Lightspeed Internet provider for as low as $89 a month. Go to ting.com slash centennial for more information. All right, we I gave you something to think about over the break, and I said, Chad, I read somebody who described what Sean Payton is doing here as boot camp, which I, I kind of chuckled about. I said, boot camp? You know, I was on with Chad Brown just the other day, and he was telling me that even though it's better than what we had last year here in Denver, it's nothing like what I used to play. So would you consider this boot camp? No. No, this is a modern NFL training camp. Uh, the, the dog days of training camp and, oh, my gosh, I can't take another step. And as soon as I walk into the locker room, I fall on the floor and I take a nap. Mm. Those days are gone. This is a much more scientific process. The athletes aren't pushed in nearly the same way that they once were. Do they get sore? Of course they do. Is there some some uh, difficult times in this? Yes. Uh, but training camp and the new CBA has just curtailed the amount of pads, the amount of practice time you can have on the field to the point where it should not feel like boot camp. It's not going to be a test of your football soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go into this and go out there and perform, perform well, and be reasonably comfortable in the fact that you're not going to feel like you're ever going to die out there. There were times as a Pittsburgh Steeler in my rookie year, I thought, I could just, I may die out here. I, this is possible. I could die. Coach Cower, I'm 
Tap it out. Tap it out. <laughs> we had dudes leaving camp in the middle of the night. Is you know that what I'm right? Saying? No one leaves this camp in the middle of the night. No one's like, like oh, I my God, I, I can't do this anymore. And they sneak out in the middle of the night. That only happened back in the old days when it was like, okay, this is such a test of will and character right. that people feel compelled to sneak out in the middle of the night. How many times were you thrown up at camp? Ooh, wow. Uh, dozens? Dozens. Dozens, plural. Yeah, we saw none of that last year. So it was a, it, this year has been a very large departure. Now I'm not saying that that's what we've seen, uh, this season, but I found the, the classification of boot camp reps. I thought that was really funny. And here's how the writer put it. All right. When Sean Payton sent his starting offense back out on the field for a fourth series last Friday night in Arizona, following three scoreless possessions, it did send a pretty clear message. This isn't good enough. Russell Wilson and the Broncos responded with a touchdown drive, with Jerry Judy atoning for a third down drop with a fourth down touchdown. The entire situation felt like a complete departure from the path former Denver Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett took last preseason, when Wilson didn't take a single snap. And, and the, the author, this is where I, this is where it got me to chuckle. Well, the boot camp reps continue Saturday in Santa Clara. We'll see, but it certainly wouldn't be stunning. Peyton wants to be fast and efficient, and the Broncos can't do that if they can't face pressure like they did against a shockingly blitz-heavy Cardinals defense. So would you consider the fourth drive, the quote-unquote punishment drive, as it's been referred to here on the air this week, would you consider those boot camp reps? No. What, uh, could you view it as a punishment drive? Yes. Could you view it in a, as go in there and get your work done, mm-hmm. fellas? Come on, get your heads out of your your new your your, your you know what? Yes. Where they got their heads, Chad? Yes, but uh, no, it's not boot camp. It, it, it's uh, I have no idea who wrote that piece, mm-hmm. but I, I'm guessing they're thirty and under. Chances are. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He looks like he's mid thirties at least, maybe late thirties. What do you think? You see the here's his picture, Eric Edholm. Who's been covering the NFL for more than two decades? So he's at least close to forties. Uh, okay, all right. Well, he's never experienced judge generations. He's never experienced, he's never like experienced the old days of training camp, <laughs> judged by those words. So uh, yeah, I, it's not boot camp reps. You, as a coach, guess what? You are allowed to demand things of your football team, uh-huh. and it's just it doesn't have to be viewed as a punishment, or you're a dictator, or you're going back to the days of Bear Bryant. You know, we knew Sean Payton would have a bit more of an old-school approach. But even Sean Payton, I think, who would love to do things even at a higher level, is limited by the CBA. So there's only so much you can do. Um, And so this extra drive that these guys were asked to do, guess what? It was to their benefit. It wasn't to their detriment. Right. It was To me, I didn't see it as a punishment. And maybe maybe by the old-school mentality of, well, you guys went out there and just absolutely sucked it up, so get your tails back out there and figure it out. Maybe if you want to consider it from that perspective, a punishment drive. But when I was watching it, I I never had a doubt that he was going to send those guys back out there for another drive. What did they accomplish in the first three drives? Right. Right? And so... While I didn't consider it a punishment drive, I considered it a, uh, hey, guys, this is almost a desperation drive. Like, we got to figure this out. What we just showed here, the first three, that's not okay. Like, that's not okay whatsoever. Um, and like I said, I, 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 I viewed it more as let's get our reps in here because if we don't do it now, where we actually have the luxury of taking reps when the stakes don't matter, what is it going to look like when things actually ratchet up? He said 15 to 18 plays. I know. And so going to that drive, they had done 14 plays. Right. 
So uh, I've seen coaches come down on either side of that. And the more hard-nosed, quote-unquote, old-school coach is like, yeah, get out there. You know, and if this drive goes longer than, than 18 plays, you guys are still going to be out. They're going to finish this drive. And I've had other coaches who are like, oh, you know, well, we, we got close, so we're good enough. And uh, you can guess by how I characterize both those two coaches, which teams were successful and which ones weren't. Right. The, oh, I guess, well, it's good enough. 14's not really 15, but, uh, yeah, that's good enough. They got those, okay, I guess it's good enough results during the season. And the coaches who demanded more of their players got more of the better results because they demanded more of their players. Right. And and to me, it seems like for an entirely new operation yet again, for Sean Payton, it would have been, I don't know if I want to say foolish or even naive to think that what they accomplished over those first 14 snaps were good enough to roll it over. Like, I don't know that you could have piggybacked off of what they did last season here in Denver with that first, you know, appearance minus the fourth drive and, and felt good about how you were heading into week two of camp. I think actually heading with a, heading into the, into the second week of camp with some positive momentum was, was really beneficial here. Yeah. And, you know, does Sean Payton know that that was going to happen? No. No, but he thought his team needed more time on the field. And right. of course, the chipping away of, 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 nervousness of anxiety of inaccuracy of very first full speed action you got yes you give guys professional football players enough reps they're going to get up to speed it took some time but they got up to speed now we'll see if they're able to continue with that here in game two i caught you on the air with dmac yesterday and the reason that this conversation kind of you know came to my mind was because i heard dmac say that he he thinks after what he saw yesterday that they're good (laughs) that they didn't need much in san francisco and I, and I chuckled just like you did as I was listening to that because, look, based upon what we've seen, one good day of practice, first of all, doesn't move the needle at all in the long, in the, in the long term. Now, if you stack day after day after day, that's great, but right. there's a reason why yesterday stuck out as such a great day, Chad, mm-hmm. is because the rest haven't been that great. And what does that indicate? It indicates a team that is still learning, that is still trying to figure things out. So, yes, they need more reps. Yes, they need almost a complete half, if not more than that, in San Francisco on Saturday, right? Right. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I was agreeing. I was agreeing that you maybe took a step too far. Uh, we shall see. And sometimes these things, I think Sean Payton has enough of a uh, head coaching experience to be able to call Kyle Shanahan and say, what are you guys looking to do? Okay. How deep are you going to play your guys? Oh, so we can all be on the same. with the enemy, so, huh? Well, you have to coordinate these efforts. Um, and so you can be on the same page. So you can maximize these games. If you're just literally going to go out there and just roll the ball out there and see what happens, and you decide, well, I want to play my guys deep into the second half, or, or at least the first series or two into the second half, and they're not going to play any of their starters, well, then it kind of negates the benefit of that. So you guys got to be on the same page mm. then. And so obviously the joint practices is a way to do that, which the Broncos will have some of those next week. Uh, but for this week, get a call into Kyle Shanahan and have a discussion of not, you know, tell me your game plan, fax it over to me, send me a screenshot of what you're going to call. That's never going to happen. But a discussion about the general way they're approaching this game can allow the coaches to be on the same page and maximize each team's benefit. Okay, so I, I'm writing something down here because we're going to get back to it here coming up because we're going to be joined by Andrew Mason, our senior Broncos writer for DenverSports.com on the other side. But you said going against lesser competition doesn't 
really matter, right? It doesn't. It doesn't give you any results. Well, you you can gain something from it, but obviously okay. you gain more by going against their ones versus their twos. Right. Yes. So can, it does. You you do get something out of it. You can develop a false sense of confidence. That would be the negative, but you can also be pretty darn efficient. All right. And walk away feeling pretty good about yourself. Okay. All right. Well, we'll hit it. We'll hit it. Don't All worry. Right. Don't worry. Uh, I, I'm going to apply that same logic to a different situation and see if you still feel the same way. All right. Coming up a little bit later. But Mace, Mace will join us next. We are live here from Training Camp 2023 in the DenverSports.com zone. Thanks to our friends at the Randy Ross Tennis Center. Back with more across the street from Training Camp on the other side.